so 21 days of freedom. Let me give a, a few words of encouragement. We've kind of stepped into that. Uh, this is day, day seven, right? So we're, we're in day seven, starting off day, day eight tomorrow. And, and somebody's sitting in the room right now going, oh, yeah, we were supposed to start that Monday last week. And, and I did get that email. And for some reason, for some reason or another, you, you maybe did day one or maybe you did day three and, and you feel like you've skipped a few other days and you're like, man, Maybe I should just maybe I should just give up now because I never I never got started. Can I encourage somebody? Like we're not called to be perfect. We're not called to be legalistic. And I would just say this morning that God say, hey, start where you are, right? Start with day eight. That that's okay. Let me give you let me give you my perspective. Uh, so Jenna and I. We, were, we changed some of our, our eating habits for the next 21 days, and, and we decided that we were going to eat paleo. So we're in a meeting on Wednesday, and Megan was there, Paul was there, and, and we're kind of going through our meeting, and, uh, and I'm like, yeah, man, like, this is great. I'm even eating green stuff for, for breakfast because like, I don't eat green stuff. And so I'm like, I, I, yeah, I ate green beans for breakfast this morning. It was kind of weird, but, but I ate, and we had a speaker come in, and, and they said, hey, you know green beans aren't even paleo, right? So, so here I am, the pastor, thinking I'm being like, you know, I'm going to fast. I'm going to do paleo. I'm, I, I messed up. I messed up day three. So listen, I would just encourage somebody to start where you are. So, so let's get started. We're, we're kicking off week three of our Freedom Series, and, and many of you know that tomorrow is, is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and, and sometimes I think we can be removed from, from history because the reality of it is there's individuals in this room remember uh, 1968. You, you remember when King was assassinated, and we're really not that far removed, and, and the reality of it is it was the early 60s in America. The nation was actually thriving, and we were about 100 years removed from the Emancipation, Emancipation Proclamation. Y'all try to say that three times fast. But there was still racial inequality. And that's just, that's just the way that it was. People of color were told to stand in line. People were told to, to not rot the boat, just to conform to government, conform to societal norms. There were black schools and there were white schools. There were black water fountains and, and white water fountains. There were black restaurants and, and, and white restaurants. And, and just stay in your lane and nobody will get hurt. Stay in your lane and everything will be okay. And the reality of it is most of the, the nation had actually taken to the propaganda. Just, just live your life. Just stay in your lane. Don't cause a fuss. Because when you cause a fuss, you get the attention of too many people. Just stay in your lane. But when it seemed like everybody conformed, there's one man that stood up. When it seemed like everybody, there was somebody. Let me get that phrase in your mind from the beginning this morning. When it seemed like everybody, there was somebody. There was somebody. There was one man that, that stood up. There was one man that, that dared to dream. There was one man that dared to be different. One man that dared to be criticized. One man that dared to risk his personal safety and comfort for the greater good. And today we honor that man. We honor Martin Luther King Jr. We honor everything that he did. We recognize that there's still more work to be done. But we honor the past. We honor what's already taken place when it seemed like everybody there's always somebody in the 60s it was racial inequality and those are some things that we're still dealing with today but but church can i be raw with you today 
Can I be real with you for, for just a moment? Today, our religious freedom is under attack. Like, oh, pastor, can you, can you talk about that at a church on Sunday morning? Do you know where you live? <laughs> Americans are told to stand in line. Uh, Americans are told, don't rock the boat. J- just conform to the government. Conform to societal norms. Now, before you freak out too much, you know how uh, commercials and, and products have disclaimers? Well, this message has a disclaimer. So let me interrupt our normal broadcast of today's message. That's funny, right? Somebody was, listen, this message is going to be a, a little dangerous today, all right? Uh, and, and this is what I would say before, before we get off track. You can turn that off now. That was supposed to scare people. Uh, it scared me. It's funny, when we went through our run-through this morning, um, our officer that's out front heard the sirens, and he kind of, like, flinched, like, like, take your hand off. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm move, remove your hand. Hey, before, before I dive into this message today, because I'm, I'm going to step on some toes, I'm going to be raw, I'm going to be real, but before you, you kind of buck up, before you get a little tense, before you start grabbing your seat, before you start walking out like Justin's doing now, um, he's just going to fix something, he's not leaving us, I promise. But, but before, before you get a little tense, just know that this is really part one to next week's sermon because next week I'll be preaching a sermon um, called Battles and Storms and there is a drastic difference between a battle and a storm. So I want you to buckle in today. I want you to take some notes, but then I want you to come back next week. Let me give us an image of where we're going. I already told you that today our religious freedom is under attack. There's a battle today really for religious liberty. And you say, Pastor, what are, what are you talking about? Like, are, are you sure? Well, yeah, let, let me tell you about a few bills. There, there's some bills that will most likely be passed in January that will actually attempt to force Christian schools, including Concord Academy, which, which we have as a school, including Southeastern University, which many of you guys go to, which I graduated from. It, it'll actually attempt to, to make those schools and universities hire teachers who are not professing Christians. And they actually live lifestyles and teach completely contrary to the word of God. And schools will be forced to hire these individuals if they apply. And if you don't hire them, you can actually lose your accreditation as an institution. Real bill that might be passed in January. In that same bill, there's an attempt to force schools to teach a version of sexuality and marriage that is contrary to the word of God. As it pertains to churches, here and now, real stuff going on. I have a friend out uh, in the Seattle area that is literally having government officials show up at his house at night telling them that they can't have church on a Sunday morning because they refuse to close their doors. Listen, these are things that we have to be aware of, but we shouldn't be surprised of because it's not catching God off guard. You say, Pastor, well, how how do you know that? I know that because I read the Bible. And I know that because there's never new, never anything new under the sun. So if you have your Bibles today, go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to have the scripture on the screen as well. But, but some of you might know the story. Uh, some of you might not have heard the story. But there's three guys in the Bible. They're named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, the Bible teaches that in the last days, there will be a spirit of Babylon that rises like, all right, I think I've heard some of that maybe in the past. Some of you are like, I don't even know what Babylon is. This is like my first time in church in like forever. Uh, let me tell you, let me tell you about Babylon. Let's pinpoint this spirit of Babylon. See, Babylon actually represents 
the spirit of a pagan culture, anything that stands against the faithfulness of Jesus. So let me give you a few points. Number one is this. Central government leaders use their power to dictate who and how individuals worship. Number two, I'm going to read these fast. Number two is this. The cabinet of experts supports the declarations and is the first to give their allegiance. And you're going, Pastor, are you preaching your opinion? No, I'm preaching the Bible. Let's look at Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he, King Nebuchadnezzar, sent messages to all the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had made. Let me put it in modern terms. You got all these scientists. You had all these scholars, you had all these judges, you had all these officials, you had all the, all the smart people in the land. You had all the influential people in the land. If you're looking on social media, it'd be everybody with a blue check beside their name, right? You had all, all the influential people of the land. You had all the wealthy people, that top 1%, they were saying, hey, hey, if this is what, if this is what we should follow, then, 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 then it looks like all the influential people are. It looks like all the smart people are. It looks like all the scientists are. It looks like all the scholars are. And, and that doesn't sound right. But if all the experts are telling me that I should be doing this, then, then I guess I should fall in line. Let's pick up in verse 4 because, again, this isn't my opinion. This is the word of God. Daniel chapter 3 verse 4 says this. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language. I don't care where you came from. I don't care what you believe. I don't care what you identify as. I don't care what your, your spiritual context is. Every people of every language, of every nation, you got to come over here. You have to follow what we're saying. I don't care what God you follow. You have to do what we're telling you to do, and this is what you were commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither and the lyre and the harp and the pipe and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Again, I don't care what you follow. I don't care the God you say you follow because King Nebuchadnezzar set up an image of gold and you have to follow that. And whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Let me break this scripture down for you. You got this guy named King Neb, right? We'll call him King Neb. And he gets all his buddies in a room. All the officials, all the smart people, and all the smart people say, hey, we need to set up a structure that, that people will follow. We need to set up a structure that puts us in charge. We need to set up a structure that when we speak, people bow. And King Nebuchadnezzar goes, I like that. I, I like being the guy in charge, so, so how do we do it? And all those smart people say, well, well, this is how we do it. We make a bunch of noise. And when we make a bunch of noise, people have to follow us. And the people that don't follow us, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to get rid of them. We're just going to throw them in a blazing, fiery furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar goes, ah, I like, I like that idea. Spirit of Babylon, number three. Individuals' rights are thrown out as people are censored and forced to think and act the same way. Every nation, no matter what your belief system is, they can't have it. 
I don't care if you're a Christian. You can't have it. I don't care if you follow God. You're not allowed to have it. Pastor, are you getting a little drastic? No, it's in bills. No, it's actually sitting on desk right now. Number four, the idolatry is masked under the statements of coming together, under the statements of unity, under the statements of this is good for society. Verse four, then the herald shouted, people of all races and all nations, this is good for everyone. Number five, people who dare to think, worship, or speak differently are considered enemies of the government and of the common good. If they oppose us, we'll throw them in the fire. If they don't get in line, we'll get rid of them. Number six, fear of punishment is used to manipulate people into complying. Fear of punishment, we'll just we'll get rid of them. We'll throw them in the fire. When it seems like everybody, there's always somebody. When it seems like everybody, church, there has to be somebody. So, so what does it look like here and now? N- number one, we as a church have to refuse to bow. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we have to refuse to bow to societal norms. Let me give you another illustration. There's an individual um, that we know of in scripture by the name of Polycarp. People are like, who in the world is Polycarp? That sounds like a Pokemon. Who, who is Polycarp? Polycarp was actually a, a disciple of John, and he led the church at, at Smyrna. And there were these Roman bounty hunters that were, were sent out to bring in Polycarp. And, and Polycarp knew these individuals were coming for him. He knew that he was about to be arrested. He knew that he was about to be taken away. But instead of running, he actually stayed put. And, and when the Roman soldiers got there, instead of fleeing, he fed him a meal. He said, hey, you guys, you guys came a long way just to get me. Like, I'm here, but... But y'all traveled a long way. Are, are you hungry? Like, we got a long road back. Like, can we at least get a, a good meal in before you take me off? And they're like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess. Like, sure, steak and potatoes, cool. Like, and so they eat this meal. And, and then the, the Roman bounty hunters, they go, okay, well, well what's your last request before, before we take you off? Because it's probably not going to be good for you when we get back. So, so what's your one request? And Polycarp looks at him and he says, hey, to be honest with you, I just, I just want to pray for an hour. Just give me one hour. I just want to pray for one hour. Like, all right. I guess while we eat, you can you can pray. So history recounts that Polycarp starts to pray, and and even in that moment, the individuals that came to take him away were saved. The, the individuals that 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 came to to take Polycarp to his demise actually said, "We believe in the guy that you're praying to now, really because of what you're professing." So they granted this request, and a few of them got saved. But the inevitable happened; they still led him to the Roman Colosseum on a donkey. And the Roman consul says this when Polycarp stands before him: "He says, swear by the Genesis of Caesar." Polycarp stands there, and he's just silent. And the council says this again. He says, swear and I will release thee, revile the Christ. Basically, he's saying, hey, all I want you to do is say you don't believe in the God that you profess that you believe in. All I want you to do, to do is deny Christ. And Polycarp's response is this. 86 years I served him. 
how can I blaspheme the king who has saved me? Listen, I don't know where you're sitting at in your relationship with Jesus this morning, but as a 17-year-old boy, Jesus stepped into my life and he saved me. How can I renounce the name of my king now? How can I turn my back on a king who saved me? So then they led Polycarp into the center of a coliseum, and the crowd chanted, death by beast, death by beast. But the proconsul opted death by fire. Kind of sounds like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they're preparing the wood, and they're preparing the flames, and the executioner seized Polycarp's wrist, and he began to nail them into stakes to hold Polycarp in place. But before the executioner could come down with the hammer, Polycarp's response was this. He who gives me strength to endure the fire will enable me to do so without the help of your nails. Basically, he's saying, I didn't run before. I'm not going to run now. I don't, I don't matter. It doesn't matter how hot the flames get. I ain't going nowhere. Do, do what you got to do. But there's no need to restrain me. Do, do what you got to do, but, but, but I'm, not, I'm not going anywhere. And they lit the fire, and, and Polycarp prayed one last time. He, says, he prayed this out loud. He said, I bless you because you have thought me worthy of this day and this hour to be numbered among the martyrs of Christ. So as they're lighting the flame, Polycarp yells back. He goes, hey, thank you. Hey, thank you that you consider me so much of a follower of Christ that I would be able to die. Scripture puts it like this, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And and Polycarp says, thank you for considering me among the martyrs of believers. But here's what history tells us. History tells us that, that when they lit the fire, it wasn't the smell of burning flesh that filled the Colosseum. It was actually the smell of frankincense. See, Polycarp, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, did not burn. This is how he was killed. The executioner grabbed a spear, stuck him in the side, and Polycarp actually bled to death. When the fire burned out, his body was still intact. Don't tell me there's not a God refusing to bow to the last minute. Number two, what do we do when we face the spirit of Babylon? It's this, don't waste energy on defending yourself. Daniel chapter 3 verse 16 says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. How much mental and emotional capacity have you tried to put in responding to someone on social media? How much mental and emotional capacity have you put in trying to respond to that coworker, trying to respond to that individual that doesn't align with your belief system? And I would say that God's telling us this morning, don't spend time and energy trying to defend yourself. Let God be the defender of who you are. To be honest with you, that's why I turned off social media. That was a joke. Thank you for laughing. I mean, I really did. It wasn't. Anyway, I digress. Here we go. Number three. Number three. Have an hour God is able, but even if he doesn't, mindset. Our God is able, but even if he doesn't, verse 17 says this. If we are thrown into a blazing furnace, the God who we serve is able to save us. The God who we serve, our God is able. He will rescue us from your power. 
But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you've set up. See, when you stand for righteousness, you have to have this kind of mindset that you can't lose. You can't lose this past uh, week. Um, there's, been some, there's been some controversy in our gym. Luke, you start to smile a little bit because I told you I was going to call you out. There's been some controversy in our gym the past, past few days, and, and this, has been, this has been the controversy. So hypothetically speaking, uh, we started putting these teams together, and, and, and if Zach pairs with this person, well, then Jake, who's not here, and since he's not here, and there's a lot of people from our gym that are here, I'm just going to call him out. He got beat in his workout yesterday, so he needs to come to church, so I don't call him out. But anyway, I digress. So we started putting these teams together, and the, these hypothetical teams, well, if this person partners with this person, then, then this team's going to win, but if we switch to teams, then, then that team will win. And, and then we get to dinner last night. And we're celebrating Caitlin and Damon, and, and they're, they're moving on to kind of follow God's call for, for their life. But, but it happened. Luke and I were across the table from each other, and basketball got brought up. Now, this is what you need to know about Luke. Luke and I are going to play basketball later today at 3 o'clock. If you want to come, come out. And, and Luke's response was, I'm, I'm locking you up. You might not even score a point. He goes, in fact, I'll be playing. You're going to lose so much, you're going to be sitting, you're going to be sitting in the bleachers. Now, now, in my mindset is this. I don't care that Luke's six foot something and I'm five foot nothing. I don't care that Luke's, I don't care that Luke's a better CrossFitter than me. I, I don't care that Luke was a D1 athlete. I have this mentality that I can't lose. Problem is, Luke has the same mentality, but I have this mentality that I can't lose. I don't care what I'm Play a sport, can't lose. I, I don't care what we're, we can play pickleball. Uh, Sam, I'm not losing. We can play spike ball, not lose, badminton, not lose. Don't care what we're doing. I'm not losing. And, and I had this mentality that, that really my dad kind of instilled in me uh, as a young athlete. And I have this mentality. But where's that mentality when it comes to following Jesus of I can't lose? See, I'll be passionate about sports, and I'll be passionate about competition, and that's okay. But you better believe I'm going to be just as passionate about the Word of God. I'm, just, I'm going to be just as passionate about following Jesus because I know I can't lose. Listen, Christians are too soft. Christ followers are becoming too soft. We're beginning to cower in the corner instead of standing on the front lines recognizing that we can't lose. We can't lose when it seemed like everybody. There's always somebody. And I say to you this morning that if you have never found something so dear and so precious to you that you will die for it, then you aren't fit to live. Make it plain. Make it plain. You may be 38 years old as I happen to be. And one day, some great opportunity stands before you and calls upon you to stand up for some great principle, some great issue, some great cause. And you refuse to do it because you are afraid. You refuse to do it because you want to live longer. You are afraid that you will lose your job or you're afraid that you will be criticized or that you will lose your popularity 
Are you afraid that somebody will stab you or shoot at you or bomb your house? And so you refuse to take the stand. Well, you may go on and live until you are 90. But you are just as dead at 38 as you would be at 90. And the cessation of breathing in your life is but the belated announcement of an earlier death of the spirit. You died when you refused to stand up for right. You died when you refused to stand up for truth. You died when you refused to stand up for justice. Take a stand for that which is right. And the world may misunderstand you and criticize you, but you never go alone, for somewhere I read that one with God is the majority. And God has a way of transforming a minority into a majority. Walk with him this morning and believe in him and do what is right. And he'll be with you even until the consummation of the ages. Yes, I've seen the lightning flash. I've heard the thunder roll. I felt sin breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul, but I heard the voice of Jesus saying, still to fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. No, never alone, no, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. Where are you going this morning, my friends? Tell the world that you're going with truth. You're going with justice. You're going with goodness. And you will have an eternal companionship. And the world will look at you. And they will understand you. For your fiery furnace will be around you. But you go on anyhow. But if not, I will not bow. God grant that we will never bow before the gods of evil. God grant that we would never bow before the gods of evil. So what will God do? What, what, will God, what does scripture say that, that God will do? The fire that was meant for you will backfire on your enemies. Daniel chapter 3, verse 20. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and, and threw them in the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. God will use the fire to burn off chains and to set you free. Verse 26, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors, all the smart people, all the influential people, all the people that were trying to set up a structure opposed to God gathered around and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. They were thrown in bound, but they walked out free. 
there's always a fourth person in the fire. Verse 25, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a God. Even the people that don't recognize who Jesus is recognizes his holiness when they see him. Number four, God will use your refusing to bow to lead others to him. Church, I'm just reading scripture. Church, I'm not, I'm not making this up. Verse 28, the Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his, his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's commands and were willing to die rather than to serve or worship any God except their own. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak against the word against God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn from limb to limb. Even people who don't recognize who God is will get an image of who he is when we do not bow. When it seemed like everybody, there has to be somebody. Church, when it seems like everybody, there has to be somebody. When it seemed like everybody would bow to a culture, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, I'm not bowing before any other God. When it seemed like everybody would give up praying, Daniel said, open the doors wide. I'm going to continue to pray. When it seemed like everybody would hide from the enemy, Jonathan and one armor bearer looked up at the Philistines and said, perhaps if we go to fight, God will show up. When it seemed like everybody would continue to live in slavery and bondage, Moses and Aaron stood before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. When it seemed like everybody would cower to the Philistine giants, a boy named Daniel went and grabbed some rocks and said, not on my watch. When it seemed like everybody in the Jewish race would be killed, Esther said, not on my watch. Everybody wants to be free, but it took one person. So come hell or high water, when it seems like everybody yes. in our culture will bow, God, we choose to stand. Come we on, let's stand up in this place. Come on, bow. here we go.